Oh, good afternoon. It's a, a wonderful privilege to, to be here. I was uh, very pleasantly surprised when I was asked to, to speak this afternoon. Um, I, I don't know if I'm on topic. It's sort of developed over the past week, so forgive me if, if uh, it's not exactly in line with everything. I, I think the, the, the invite said the, the ladies, the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, but I wanted to expand it a bit more just to look at some of the ladies in the Bible. And I said to, to Pumi, the sort of theme verse is Proverbs 31, 25, uh, which says, Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. And so... Uh, I'm sure most of you are familiar with Proverbs 31. The, the, uh, this idealized picture of, of a godly woman. Uh, so I'm not going to be looking at that. But this specific verse tells us that uh, a godly lady has uh, strength and she is able to look to the future without fear. You see that uh, there she laughs at the time to come. And that's what I wanted to look at today. You know, part of being a discipled woman, a, uh, a woman who is um, growing in godly disciplines, growing in Christ's likeness, is a woman who trusts the Lord and has courage. Uh, I think whether you're male or female, fear is a very real thing. We all are afraid of many things. Uh, but I do see in the scriptures that um, godly women are praised for their courage. Uh, and so that's really what I wanted to encourage you with this morning, is to build the disciplines in your life as you look to Christ, as you uh, meditate upon Him, uh, that you grow in courage. Uh, there are many things to be fearful about. There are many difficulties in life. Um, there, there are many threats, especially to, to ladies, uh, many things that could cause one to be afraid. But the godly woman who is trusting in Christ will grow in courage and overcome those fears and uh, be able to, to be victorious in the Lord. And so I wanted us to, to look at some of these passages. But before I get to that, just a passage from 1 John, 1 John 4.16 says this, John tells us this, we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. And in this verse, there is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. But just to focus in on that passage, or the, the section, uh, perfect love casts out all fear. As we grow in our love for Christ, as we see his beauty and his majesty and are drawn to him and become more like him, uh, fear is overcome and fear is dispelled. Because really fear produces so many types of sins, isn't that right? Uh, what is it that causes, uh, especially for ladies, concerns about their, their body, 
their image, eating disorders, drinking disorders, um, uh, destructive relationships, uh, all sorts of destructive behaviors. It's through fear. Uh, it is fear of what others think. Uh, it's not having a firm identity in Christ. Uh, what is it that will stop ladies from submitting to their husbands or to those in authority? Again, a fear of being uh, taken advantage of. Um, and because there are people who do take advantage. And so, as we look to Christ, that is the answer. It's not, you know, believe in yourself or anything like that. The answer is to find our confidence in Christ, to find your identity in Christ. And so the disciplines are there to help you in that. As you discipline your mind to think on Christ and his promises. And so I'm going to start in the Old Testament and then go through a, a few ladies and then uh, the same in the New Testament. And the first lady that I want us to look at, maybe, uh, maybe uh, you, you would not have thought of her, is Eve. Uh, Eve is... Um, maybe you think, well, I don't even think she's a believer. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, I, I do believe that she is a believer. I believe Adam... We will see Adam and Eve in, in heaven. Um, Adam, after they've sinned, eaten of the fruit, you remember the Lord comes to them and then there are the consequences for their sin. It is noteworthy that God does not curse Adam or Eve. He curses the serpent and he curses the ground. He curses the world or the universe. But he does not curse Adam or Eve. There are consequences to their sin. But he doesn't curse them. But in the midst of it, in Genesis 3, he gives what theologians call the Proto-Evangelion, the first gospel, the promise of a serpent crusher. And the promise says, Eve, uh, will, there will be the seed of the woman who will crush the seed of the serpent. Uh, and uh, right after that, we're told that Adam calls Eve the mother of all living, which means he believes the promise that God has made. He doesn't say, well, I, you know, I don't believe that. He says, no, Eve will have children. Uh, God's promise will be fulfilled. And he calls her the mother of all living. He shows faith. And then in chapter 4, we find that uh, Eve, she falls pregnant and she gives birth to Cain. And she says this, she, well, the scriptures say that she conceived and bore Cain. And then she says this, the ESV says, I have produced a man with the help of the Lord... Uh, or it can be translated, I have gotten a man from the Lord, or I have gotten a man, the Lord. Uh, and so, whichever way you look at it, it is still an act of faith. She believes that this child of hers will be the one who will make things right. Okay, so Unfortunately, she's wrong. <laughs> uh, but you see the faith there that she has, that God has made a promise that through her, uh, a son will come who will crush the, the head of the serpent, who will make things right, who will bring restoration. Now, what I want to say is, can you imagine, try and put yourself, use some uh, sanctified imagination, poetic license, but imagine the guilt upon Eve. Um, I, I, you know, if she's anything like us, can you imagine her thoughts that because of what she had done, because she had allowed herself to be deceived, certainly we know that Adam is more culpable. 
But uh, that's, it would not have been right of her to say, well, it's not my problem, it's Adam's problem. Uh, she did sin. She paid attention to the serpent. She listened to him. She was swayed by him. She gave in to temptation. Uh, she had everything going for her, isn't that right? She was in the paradise. She didn't have a sin nature like we have, and yet she, she fell. Tremendous guilt through her sin and Adam's sin. Death comes upon all. And we know that guilt can, can, can paralyze us. Shame can paralyze us. Remember at the end of chapter 2, it says they were naked and not ashamed. There was no shame. But of course, when sin came in, there was tremendous shame. And how easy it would, would have been for her just to give in to that. That self-loathing, that guilt, that shame, and not trust the Lord. And so incredibly courageous that she trusts God. She falls pregnant and she says, I've, I've gotten a man from the Lord. The Lord is fulfilling his promise. Uh, so whatever you've done, whatever sins you have committed, uh, have the courage to trust God to believe his promise of forgiveness, we live on this side of the serpent crusher who has come. And so we're in a, in a very privileged position. But it takes courage to believe God's promise that uh, there is hope, there is forgiveness, there is, there is grace. Continue then. The next lady we come to is Sarah, the wife of Abraham or Sarai. And then she becomes uh, Sarah. And really what we see with, with uh, Sarah is this whole principle of submission. So Peter picks up on this in the New Testament, 1 Peter 3, verse 1. I'll read just to give you the setting. Uh, Peter says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. So he, he's talking about this very difficult situation of a lady who is married to an unbeliever, and... Uh, he, st- does, he still says, even though you're married to an unbeliever, be in submission to your husband. They may be one, verse 2, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold, jewelry, or the clothing you wear. So uh, just quickly, he's not against those things. Obviously, we'd have a problem if he's against clothing. Um, he's against, that's, if that's your identity... Uh, that's a problem. If that's all there is to you is what you look like, uh, then there is a problem. Uh, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable, imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. And then he says this, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. So the beauty that they had, they had was through submission to their husbands. And then he says in verse 6, As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Uh, So quite a remarkable passage. He's referring back to Genesis 18, um, where where, uh, Sarah calls Abraham Lord. She refers to him as Lord, and Lord is a very strong word. Uh, we could translate it as master. Uh, it's a word that's even used of God, um, that he is Lord. Uh, she's not saying Abraham is God, uh, but it, it is a, a, a very strong term to say he is the one who is in charge. He is the master. And 
she is honored for that, for her submission to Abraham. And then he says this, if you do, do good and do not fear anything, that is frightening. So what is going on here? Well, if you know the story of Abraham and his life, you'll know that there were some pretty frightening things, that, that uh, experiences that Sarah had to go through. Isn't that right? Abraham, first of all, is called by the Lord to leave his, his home. Uh, and of course, it would have been Sarah's home as well. All her family and relatives. And, you know, Abraham comes and says, well, the Lord's told me. And, you know, who knows the conversation that they had. But she, it must have been incredibly painful and difficult for her. Because it wasn't as though uh, we're going to, you know, we're moving from Johannesburg to Cape Town or something like that. It was, we're leaving. I don't know where we're going. Okay, <laughs> We just need to go. Because the Lord didn't show them yet where they had to go. And yet she submits to that and she supports him in that. And then he takes her and he treats her very badly, isn't that right? He goes down to Egypt and he, he's, he's more worried about himself than his wife's, uh, the way she is treated and her integrity. And he does the same again uh, with, with Abimelech in Gerar. So he, he, he behaves very badly towards her. Um, he takes her to some very frightening situations and yet she continues to submit and call him Lord. Uh, and in marriage, there will be, it is a frightening thing for a lady. It took me a long time to realize that. I just thought, it must be wonderful to be married to me. Uh, <laughs> I never thought, uh, I never thought of, you know, a lady having to leave her home, um, her father. Um, often, you know, there is that special bond or relationship between a daughter and her father. And now, and her father, obviously, it will be older and uh, more experienced and much wiser. And, and now she marries a younger man who doesn't have the experience or the wisdom um, or understanding of her. Uh, because husbands, uh, fathers are supposed to understand their daughters and care for them and, and really... And point them to marrying the right person because they really understand them and know them. Uh, and now to, to, to really, as Genesis says, to leave father and mother and cleave to your husband. It is a frightening thing. And that's exactly what Peter is saying. Uh, those who marry will need tremendous courage to submit, to call your husband Lord. I'm not saying you have to call him Lord, uh, but you understand the, the principle um, uh, and so Sarah is honored and praised because even in the midst of tremendous difficulty, she trusted the Lord and submitted to her husband. And so it is uh, for, for those who want to be godly wives, okay, to trust the Lord, to not be afraid, even though it will be frightening. It is a very scary situation to be vulnerable, to be... Um, open to being hurt. Uh, but as God's, God's ladies, if you want to be the daughters of Sarah, this is what is, is called for. It is called to be courageous, to not be afraid, uh, to trust the Lord that he will look after you and he knows what is, what is best. The next lady we move on to is a lady called Jael. And... Um, 
she is not a, an Israelite. She was probably proselytized. She was a Kenite. So what we'll see is through this, these, these different uh, little stories, these different little vignettes, ladies from all different backgrounds. Uh, they were not all Israelites. Of course, Eve is, represents all of humanity. Um, Sarah is the start of the Jewish race, the Jewish nation. But here, Jael is a Kenite, a, a Gentile, not a Jewish lady. Uh, this is during the period of the judges, so Israel has entered the promised land. Um, they're at battle uh, with different uh, nations because what would happen is they would, they would conquer, they would become relaxed, complacent, stop serving the Lord. God would raise up enemies to chasten them. They would get conquered, then they would be subjugated, and they would be um, oppressed, and then they would cry out to the Lord, and God would raise up a judge who would deliver them. And so you see in the book of Judges this, this circle. And this is a period when a Canaanite king, Haban, is oppressing the children of Israel. Um, and uh, Deborah is a judge, and uh, she calls Barak to come and fight against Haban and his general, a man called Sisera. And they were very powerful. They had 900 chariots of iron. Okay, so iron was very rare. And so obviously chariots of iron, hard to fight against. They were being oppressed. God gives the Israelites victory. So Sisera runs away, the general of the Canaanite army. And he goes to the tent of Jael, this lady. Um, and uh, she invites him in. So I also, again, want you to understand the situation. Here she is with a, uh, you know, a, a general in, in this pagan army, obviously an experienced warrior, a, probably a very cruel man. Uh, but she invites him into her tent and she gives him milk to drink so that he'll, he'll fall asleep. And he falls asleep and then she takes a tent peg and a hammer and she... She puts it against his head and hammers it straight through his skull. She kills him because he's an enemy of God. Um, and, you know, must have been incredibly frightening, creeping up to the guy, you know, trying to imagine it. It took tremendous courage for her to do this. But I think it's very helpful. Uh, she is blessed. Deborah writes a song in Judges chapter 5. She says, Most blessed of women... Be Jael, the wife of Haber, the Kenite, of tent-dwelling woman most blessed. Um, he asked water and she gave him milk. She brought him curds in a noble's bowl. She sent her hand to the tent peg and her right hand to the workman's mallet. She struck Sisera. She crushed his head. So in the poetic version, Judges 4 is the narrative version. Judges 5 is the poetic version of the account. But in the poetic version, uh, the way she describes it is like the promise of the serpent crusher. And so you find these little shadows all the way out. She's acting uh, in, in a foreshadowing way of Christ. Sisera representing Satan, the enemies of God. And she comes and crushes his, his head. Tremendous courage, tremendous faith, but also uh, not how we maybe tend to view women. Okay, so here I want to encourage you uh, and 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13, Paul says to the whole church, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. 
And, uh, and so here he says to all, the, the whole church, to act like men. And the idea there is the idea of courage, mature courage. Uh, and so again, even in difficult, physically difficult situations, to be courageous, uh, to know, to be strong in the Lord. Uh, there was a, a sort of, uh, over the you know, Victorian era and then into the 50s in America, the sort of idea of women who are useless and pathetic and faint all the time. You know, there's a spider, they faint. <laughs> there's a, um, that's not the biblical image. Okay? Proverbs 31 is of a strong woman who works hard. Uh, you know, this is where it always becomes difficult. What is it that is different between a man and a woman? There are definitely differences. But if you say, well, men work hard, well, so do women. Men do physical work, so do women. Uh, women are emotional, so are men. Uh, read David. Read all the... Jesus, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. So uh, it becomes more difficult. But just to say, uh, it's not a helpful stereotype to think, well... Women should not be courageous physically and strong physically as well. Um, again, trusting God uh, because no doubt there will be difficult physical times in, in your life. and uh, Especially in the context in which we live. And to trust the Lord and uh, not to withdraw in, in fear but to, but to know His grace again, to be courageous Then we come to the New Testament, and the first lady is Mary. Um, And here, it's really for for all ladies, but especially young ladies, because uh, Mary would have been very young when she receives the announcement. We we think, you know, 13, 14, 15, uh, around about that age. And so again, try and place yourself in that situation. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Um, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid. So, of course, an angel comes and appears to you. Uh, uh, you know, she's, she's a young lady, a young girl, incredibly frightening. You know, uh, what's going on? He tells her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him. He carries on like that. And then Mary said to him, How will this be since I am a virgin? Verse 35, And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you in the power of the Most High. uh, We we know this account. But I mean, how do you... I I wouldn't even begin to know how to comprehend or how to take all of that in. An angel appearing to this young girl, then telling her she's going to be pregnant. Uh, In that culture, of course... And a, a, a traditional culture, uh, very shameful. Uh, you know that Joseph, even a, an honorable man, he, he sought to divorce her, to cancel the marriage. Uh, we can only imagine what was going through her mind. And yet she says in verse 38, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. 
Let it be to me according to your word. And when she meets her, uh, meets Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth says to her, Blessed are you among women. So again, notice this idea of blessing for women who are courageous. They are blessed, those who trust God. And here, Mary, as a young girl, trusts God in this remarkable situation. And then we do come to the female disciples of the Lord Jesus. Uh, Luke 8, and this is from verse 1. Soon afterwards, Jesus went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager. And Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Isn't this wonderful? Uh, Luke is the one who... who uh, brings to our attention, out of all the gospel writers, will bring to our attention the ladies in, in, uh, in ministry, in, in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And also the, the, he's the one who focuses on the poor as well. Um, and so he's the one who tells us about all these ladies who were part of the disciples of the Lord Jesus. Not part of the twelve, but there was a larger group of disciples, male and female, And many of these ladies were actually the ones who supported Jesus' ministry financially. Okay, And so, a wonderful picture. But I just want to uh, zoom in on Joanna. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager. This is not Herod the Great, who was around when Jesus was born. Uh, This is one of his sons later on. This is the one who had John the Baptist beheaded. Uh, we know some of what happened in that event, and probably it was because of Chusa, the household manager, being present, who, who then told us, told the, the writers what happened. Um, Herod also, the same Herod in Luke 13, tries to kill the Lord Jesus. He tries to have Jesus put to death. So can you imagine the courage to be in, in the household of Herod and yet be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. She was very, in a very real way, risking her life, knowing the type of person Herod was, a dictator, a cruel man who had no qualms about putting people to death, uh, tried to kill the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet here she is, a well-known disciple of Jesus Christ. Uh, many of the Pharisees who followed Jesus were afraid. They withdrew. They didn't want people to know that they were listening to Jesus. But she was not like that. And so again, we praise God for the freedom that we do enjoy, that by God's grace, ordinarily, um, in our context, no one will be physically persecuted, at least at this stage, for following Christ. But we don't know what the future holds. But even if it's physically dangerous to follow Christ, He is worthy. Uh, not to be afraid, uh, to determine that beforehand, no matter the cost, uh, no matter the, the, the cost to our own bodies, to our lives, to our relationships, to follow, to follow Christ above everything. And then the last lady uh, is Lydia from the book of Acts. 
uh, Acts chapter 16. And so um, uh, Paul comes to um, Philippi, a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. It says we remained in the city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside where we, were supposed, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the woman who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshipper of God. And so, again, this wonderful picture. They come to look for a place of worship, and there's all these ladies gathering to, to worship. Uh, one of them is Lydia, a wealthy lady, a seller of purple. I'm sure you, you, you're familiar with that. It was a dye that was very costly. Uh, and so she was a wealthy lady, but a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. So she worshiped God, but was not yet uh, converted to Christ. She had not come to know Christ. Remember, Acts is this transitional period, so people can worship God, but not yet know about the Lord Jesus coming. And so she becomes a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and she's baptized, and her whole household as well. And she urged us, saying, Luke says, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she shows tremendous hospitality, and she prevailed upon, him, upon them, and they stay, Luke and, and Paul stay there. Later on, we see that Paul gets arrested, thrown in prison for the message that he's proclaiming. But once they come out of prison, where do they go? They go to the house of Lydia, and they go and stay there. And so again, I want you to see the risk to Lydia. Paul has been thrown in jail for this message of Christianity. Uh, you know, anyone associated with Paul would now be marked. Lydia is unashamed to be associated with Paul. She again invites them to, to stay with her, shows hospitality to them. Uh, and of course, you can imagine the risk. Uh, she's a wealthy woman. Uh, she, could be, she could lose everything. You know, sometimes we think, well, what could I lose if I follow Christ? What is the cost to me? I might lose this relationship. I might lose you know, my career or something like that. Uh, again, to have courage in, in serving Christ, uh, whatever the consequences, uh, to, to not be ashamed of him. And so in conclusion, all of these ladies come from different backgrounds. Uh, I think it's a wonderful sampling. You have different ages. You have different ethnicities. You have different socioeconomic backgrounds. And so in many ways, I'm sure, representative of, of everyone here. Uh, different backgrounds, different ages, uh, different socioeconomic brackets. Um, and every one of you will face temptations to be afraid, to fear. Uh, that will affect your decisions, uh, whether it's in, at work, in your family, uh, in marriage, in, in your life. Uh, where, where, wherever the Lord leads you, there will always be temptations to fear, to be afraid, to, to uh, want to capitulate, to want to withdraw, to want to find comfort in false idols, to want to escape, to 
those things. But the disciplined lady, the godly lady, the lady who is renewing her mind, who is uh, turning to Christ, who is using the means of grace, coming under the sound of God's word, meditating upon God's word, especially the promises of God, uh, renewing your mind so when those thoughts come, to be afraid, and you know, we're good at letting our minds run away, aren't we? (laughs) Uh, into, into all sorts of fantasies, all sorts of possibilities. Um, uh, but no, to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And that's a discipline. It's not something that just, well, okay, I'll do that, and then it's all fine. It's every day. And if you have had a habit of not doing that with your mind, then it's going to take more time to start to do that. But start to do that, to be a, a woman of courage, trusting the Lord, uh, and to know and to be blessed. Okay? These women were blessed, blessed by God. And that does not mean you'll be rich or you know, everything will go right in your life. It means you will know God's smile, God's favor, God's, God's love in a tangible way. Um, and then, let, me, let me close us in, in prayer. Lord. Oh, Father, thank you so much for this time in your word. I thank you so much for all the uh, wonderful, precious ladies here. I thank you for uh, the, the testimony and influence in my own life from many of them over the years here at Heritage, their kindness, their display of the love of Christ, their gentleness, their strength in the midst of many difficulties, uh, much injustice, um, trials, uh, how they've pointed me to Christ, shown me the the beauty and strength of Christ. And I do pray, Lord, that you would encourage every one of them, Lord, that they would um, desire to know you more, to find strength in you, and that as they love you more, that that perfect love would cast out fear. Um, Give them strength in every sphere of life, Lord. Uh, May they they, um, really adorn themselves with a a beauty that is imperishable, the beauty of Christ. Um, And so please, Holy Spirit, work in every heart and mind, and uh, may you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.